Hi, I'm Andrea Tallison, an anti-diet intermittent fasting coach, and this is the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. My mission is to provide women who want the health benefits of intermittent fasting with the community, resources, and coaching they need to not feel stuck on yet another diet. This podcast is one of those resources. Please be sure to seek out medical advice from a doctor or healthcare provider, as this podcast is intended for educational purposes only. Thank you for being here. Now, let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Andrea here for another solo show. On today's episode, I am going to be talking about pages one through five uh, of the Intuitive Eating 4th Edition book. The chapter is called The Science Behind Intuitive Eating, and the book is by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. Um, I'll provide a link to the book in the show notes and I definitely if you don't have a copy or you have an older copy I would definitely encourage you to take a look at it maybe check it out from your library get it on kindle what have you there's um, I'm working on setting up a section within the Facebook group for folks to discuss the book in kind of a self-guided conversational book study, if you will, and these podcast episodes will help guide some of that conversation. So definitely uh, hope to see you in the group participating. Before I dive in about the book, I wanted to give just a couple updates on things I've talked about previously, as well as a couple new things. I've talked about how my goal right now is really on self-care and getting back into some sort of a movement routine. And uh, this week, I've been trying another movement resource that I wanted to mention. It's a website called fitforever.com. It is a monthly membership site that has a bunch of workouts. And the reason I initially checked it out was because it reminds me of the types of exercises that my chiropractor was wanting me to do for general back health, but um, when my physical therapy time with my chiropractor ended, of course, I haven't done very much at home with the exercises that he gave me, so I have been looking, exploring, I guess, other options, and I've found this, and so far, I'm enjoying it, and the cost is pretty reasonable, so I'll include a link to that in the show notes in case you want to check that out. The exercises, um, they have basic, intermediate, and advanced exercises as well as like laid out plans of schedules that you can follow. And so far, I'm finding that structure to be really helpful. And there's a lot of variety too, which I'm appreciating. The other thing which I've talked a little bit about uh, last week, I think I mentioned it, was um, the Holden Qigong site. And um, a while back, I had invested in the 30 days uh, with like 30 days of seven minute Qigong routines. And last week I talked about how I was experimenting with aligning that practice with where I'm at in my menstrual cycle. And since that time when I recorded that episode, I've shifted a little bit and I feel like it's worthwhile, um, to share about that. So, 
when in traditional Chinese medicine, the different stages of menstruation are can be mapped to the different elements. And when I was first trying this, I was looking at what stage of my cycle I was in and doing a routine that aligned with that. But um, since that time, I've been experimenting more with looking at what my symptoms are and which types of Qigong routines would help me alleviate whatever symptoms I'm experiencing. And that has ended up being that I'm actually not doing routines that are aligned with where I'm at in my cycle, but rather, um, I don't know if I would say like to help me pull things along a little bit. I don't know. It's hard to articulate. I'll put a couple links in the show notes to the, the blog posts that have been guiding this exploration for me. Uh, and if you are interested in hearing more about what I'm doing with that, you know, definitely reach out to me in the Facebook group, send me a private message, and I would love to talk to you about my experience. So far, I found it to be pretty, um, pretty, pretty helpful, actually. Um, the last thing I wanted to provide an update on is uh, last two weeks ago now, I guess, when I recorded this, I talked about that I had purchased the Shapa scale, and it's a numberless scale that I recently learned about. Um, and so far, I would say I'm really enjoying it. I finished the calibration period, and I'm starting to get feedback on where my weight is trending, whether I'm you know, losing, gaining, maintaining, all that stuff. Um, I'm actually really enjoying the numberless feedback, and... I get different missions every day. You could think of them as um, like suggestions for different things to try. I'm really enjoying that, and I'm finding them motivating me as far as water and movement and stress reduction. It's led me to realize something that is worthwhile to call out here. I, I had signed up for the Shapa Facebook group community, and what, what I've realized is that the tool itself doesn't ultimately change your reasons for doing it. So like within the community, I, I see a lot of folks commenting on, you know, a sense of despair if the, the color is indicating that they're gaining weight. Um, and that's really, for me, that's where the work of intuitive eating is coming in because I need to change my relationship to my body and what's happening on the scale and do it for reasons that are aligned with my values and um, there's that underlying reflection work that had to happen before I could even consider changing my relationship to using a scale. Um, And so, you know, I think if you're in, in the Facebook group listening to this podcast, doing this sort of work to figure out how to align however it is you're eating with intuitive eating, um, the scale is a is a really neat resource for you, um, and I'll definitely include the link and the I don't know the bonus code I guess if you will I don't know what you would call it, um, but I'll include that in the show notes in case you want to check it out. Okay, so with that said, let's get to talking about the book. Um, this first chapter, as I mentioned at the beginning is called The Science Behind Intuitive Eating. And this is a new section of the book. So if you have prior versions, 
um, it would be worthwhile to check out the new one if this if the stuff that I'm going to be talking about interests you. Um, this this section is possible now because there's been over 125 studies that have been published uh, since the time that this particular version or edition was published, and um, they talk about even in the first paragraph of that chapter, they talk about intuitive eating and as an adaptive eating style, which influence influences psychological and physical well-being. And I was like, well, that's great, but what does that mean? So I looked up adaptive eating style and that didn't show anything. And so I decided to just look up the definition of adaptive and that said characterized by or given to adaptation okay, that's not very helpful, just a circular definition in my mind. So I looked up adaptation. And adaptation said the action or process of adapting. Again, like I was like, okay, this is a never-ending never ending journey here to just keep feeling like I'm getting spun around in circles with the definition. So I just, I wanted to sort of take it offline for a second and think about what it means to adapt in my own life or just in general. And like when I hear the word adapt, I think that, you know, it means to change as needed based upon the circumstances. And when I think about applying that to intuitive eating, what that tells me is that intuitive eating is not a fixed thing. It's expected that it's going to look different Um, depending upon where you are in your life, where you are in your journey, like it's not a set of rules. And in prior, when I was first starting to research intuitive eating for myself, like one of the things that I came across were criticisms of people just turning it into um, the intuitive eating diet, because that's definitely not how it's intended to be used. As soon as you, as soon as I hear the word diet, I think of something that's not adaptive and not flexible. So I think that's um, that's really where calling that out is worthwhile. So on the bottom of page two, they talk a little bit about what the studies have shown. And they mention that intuitive eaters are found to be more satisfied with their body without internalizing the thin ideal, that they're less likely to base their self-worth on being thin and that there is a positive association with intuitive eating and self-esteem, satisfaction with life, and proactive coping. So how does that compare? Like if I'm thinking about what that means for me, how does that compare with what my life was like when I was dieting? I was definitely not satisfied with my body. Like on every diet, there was some sort of goal state that I was working towards. And my satisfaction with my body really depended upon where I was at relative to that goal. Um, I would feel great if I was losing weight, but then there was a lot of shame involved when I was gaining it back. And instead of focusing on other ways of fostering self-esteem, I was focused on weight with Real, you know, thinking that if I got to a certain weight, that that was that was the solution. Things were going to be good, and I've seen this come up in several different Facebook groups where you know people have talked about getting to their goal weight and then realizing that they still had a lot of work to do, and that 
that really is the key. It's like, I feel like for myself and maybe for you, we spend so much time focusing on weight and then we don't do the work on ourself and what ultimately led us to the place where we felt like we had to lose weight in the first place. Um, And so it makes sense to me that people who consider themselves to be intuitive eaters or, you know, are, are measured on the various scales to be more intuitive with their eating are also likely to have these other things, including uh, self-esteem that's not, that's not based on weight. Um, so then I wanted to talk about one of the characteristics or one of the positive associations with, with satisfaction in life. And I think about You know, well, you know, I definitely had moments and things I was satisfied with even when I was dieting, but there is so much going on in our life that does involve food. And I think about how hard it was to fully experience that when I was trying to follow some sort of a diet, right? There was always something that needed to be planned or measured or compared, and it makes it really hard to show up for the day-to-day experiences of life that do involve food, like, you know, vacations. Like, I, some of my greatest memories are about trying the local cuisine on the various vacations I've gone on, and that, that is not something that you can fully enjoy when you have to stress out about how it fits into a diet. Um, and then the last of the positive associations they mentioned was proactive coping is uh, associated with intuitive eating. And I think about that. And one of the principles, uh, I don't recall offhand which principle number it is, but one of the principles of intuitive eating is learning to cope with emotions more, um, more healthfully. And I definitely, using food to cope with my emotions has been uh, a go-to for me in the past. And so as I have gotten more into intuitive eating, I have had to find other ways of coping. And I've talked in the past few episodes for sure about how I've started meditating regularly. Um, and that is that has just been tremendous for my, my mental uh, and spiritual well-being. And if anything, it's made it so that when I am dealing with challenging situations, it's not, they're not getting as bad because I have um, other coping skills now. And so I can, I can definitely see how proactive coping skills would, would be associated with people who are um, more intuitive with their eating. They've found some of the studies, um, that have been done have found that intuitive eaters have a higher interoceptive awareness. So that was a word that um, has come up for me in an interview that I had done with Tracy Brown way back in the early days of the podcast. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But I wanted to share a couple of things from the book here about interoceptive awareness, because I think that it's a good, good way to frame how we think about it. So um, this is on the bottom of page three. Interoceptive awareness is the ability to perceive physical sensations that arise from within your body. 
It's a direct experience, a felt sense that happens in the present moment. It's not the past or future. It happens right now. It includes basic states like feeling a distended bladder, hunger, and satiety cues, and the felt sense of every emotional feeling. Every emotion has a unique physical sensation in the body. When you perceive bodily sensations, it gives rise to powerful information to help get your psychological and biological needs met. Um, So I, I like that. I feel like there's a lot of really good information in that. Um, there's a couple other quotes that I found really helpful just in framing that. Uh, These are on the top of page four. There's two quotes back to back that I'll read here. Ultimately, IE and intuitive eating is a a personal process of honoring health by listening and responding to the direct messages of the body in order to get your needs met. The principles of intuitive eating work either by enhancing interoceptive awareness or by removing the obstacles to perceiving and responding to the felt sensations in the body. The obstacles are usually from the mind in the form of rules, beliefs, and thoughts. The challenge in today's diet culture is that many people do not value, let alone trust their body sensations. Instead, they eat based on externality. Wow, what's that word? Instead, they eat based on externality. That is, eating according to rules and diet plans, which ultimately create confusion between mind and body. Interoceptive awareness is based on inner sensation, which is an inside job. That's why using external methods to eat, such as counting macros, calories, or points, does not help you connect to your body. So there's a couple things that I want to just comment on here. Like I think about what things were like when I was on my last diet and I definitely I know that there was several times where I would talk to people about well I need this diet because I I don't have an off switch once I once I start eating I just go 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 there's not there's not an off I can't possibly tell when I'm full and that then the other side of that is that my eating was so out of whack that I wasn't even able to really sense when I was hungry, right? Like, because if I was dieting, well, then yeah, I was hungry because I was not nourishing my body in the way it needed. But if I wasn't dieting, I often wasn't allowing myself to get hungry. There was just always food available and I was always eating. So um, it makes it really hard to believe that you have these signals when you're not listening to them. Speaking for myself, like no wonder I thought I didn't have a full signal because I wasn't even ever listening to my hungry signal. So everything was all messed up. There's two different aspects of interoception, which I found really interesting to learn about here. There's this talk of sensitivity, which is our ability to feel the cues. And they give an example of our ability to sense our heartbeat. And honestly, like when I try to do this for myself, I don't, I don't know that I can, I can pick up on my heartbeat. Um, they, there's talk in, in this book that, um, they say that they talk about an exercise and learning how to perceive your heartbeat within the workbook. So I might explore that and see what that's all about and share that. Um, but the thing that I want to call out here is like this our ability to perceive things is something that I feel like 
we can learn, right? And there's hope there. Just like you can learn a skill, you know, whether it's, you know, you're learning how to cook or you're learning yoga or whatever, like you can learn how to perceive different sensations in your body. I think of, you know, doing body scan meditations and all that kind of stuff. And so if if we can learn how to listen to our bodies in that regard, it it seems to me that then intuitive eating is also something that we will be able to learn. And as you get better with a skill, it becomes easier. So there's hope here in this. As we learn how to perceive our signals, it does get easier and you pick up on them more easily moving forward. The other part of interoception is this notion of responsiveness, which is the ability to respond to the cues and take action. And there's a really great example on the bottom of page four. Um, the, The book says, imagine your best friend pounding at your door to deliver helpful news. Although you hear the knocking, you don't bother to let them in. The issue at hand is responsiveness. And then um, just another quote here coming right off of that sentence, still on the bottom of page four. A 2017 study found that intuitive eaters had more body appreciation and interoceptive awareness. It's all connected. Notably, body appreciation was the mitigating factor for people to respond to the messages of their body. The cultural challenge, however, is that weight stigma combined with the influence of patriarchy and healthcare policy has conditioned us to distrust our bodies and their cues. I I found that really interesting. Um, and specifically, I wanted to touch on why body appreciation might impact responsiveness. And I think back to when I first started the intuitive eating journey, like I had a sense that I was going to need to gain weight back because of having pushed my weight well beyond where it was healthy for me. And part of my healing on that journey was recognizing that my body was ultimately trying to protect me. And when I appreciated that fact, it made it easier to recognize the weight gain as as part of that journey. And part of appreciating my body's need to protect itself and gain weight back because I hadn't been listening to its needs for so long. Um, and with that, like it, it makes sense to me then that our ability to honor our internal cues would be influenced by whether or not we appreciate what our body is trying to do uh, and what our body is trying to tell us. Uh, a perfect example of this responsiveness for me, um, because I think this is one of the things that I'm still working on myself, is I actually, um, so my my child's funder, my child's school was having a, a fundraiser for the the PTO, the parent teacher organization yesterday. And it was, um, you know, 20% of all purchases at the local ice cream shop were going to be donated to the school. 
And I love, you know, supporting my kids' school as much as I can. And I certainly love some good ice cream. And so we planned to go and get some ice cream. And it's not uncommon to order a larger size. Like we get something that's sort of the equivalent of a Dairy Queen blizzard at the local ice cream shop. And um, it's not uncommon for, for me to get a larger size than what I would intend to eat. And, you know, it used to be that I would just eat the whole thing because, you know, diet thinking, like I better get it out of the house so that it's not there tomorrow. But now I've gotten better at eating to the point of being satisfied and then putting the rest away and having it some other day. And I got the cue when I was eating that I was that I was ready to be done. Like my body physically said, okay, that's enough. You you need to stop now. And it I, I think I pushed back, I pushed a little bit further than when I received that cue. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. One is like it's easy to push through because it it tasted good. Like, of course, it's delicious. Like, why wouldn't I want to keep eating? And, oh, well, there's only a little bit left, so I might as well just finish it. Um, But that, both of those instincts are not actually honoring my body's internal cue. And for me, I have to continually remind myself that this journey to intuitive eating is about rebuilding trust with myself. It's trust that I damaged after 17 years of dieting. And honoring that cue then requires that I sort of remind myself that I can have ice cream whenever I want. Like, I don't have to eat it all now. Like, it used to be that I had to eat it all now so that it's not in the house tomorrow. Um, but reminding myself that, no, I can have it today and I can have it tomorrow again if I, if I want it. And, you know, I could have it next week. Like there's not this, there's not a scarcity and it make it gives me permission to enjoy it now, but then also to enjoy it again later. And I have to also keep in mind that there's more good that's going to come out of honoring that cue than from continuing to push through because, you know, in this case, like I was, I was full. And so physically, if I had eaten more than I had, like I would have probably not felt good physically because I would have been over full. And then also I I feel like I may have some slight dairy sensitivities that certainly eating more dairy than, than my body would be happy with is not going to make me feel very good. So, um, you know, responsiveness is of the sensitivity and responsiveness piece. I think responsiveness is the one that I'm personally finding more challenging right now. Um, And, you know, they talk in that quote, they talk about how um, it's made more difficult by weight stigma and patriarchy and healthcare policy. And I think back, I think to dieting and the messages we get and pushing past our hunger cues is definitely, I feel like it's encouraged and really celebrated. And, you know, if there's conversations in healthcare settings, like I've heard of so many people talk about the focus being on weight loss as a goal, but then there's not talk about the mental or um, the the mental impacts of, of trying to ignore the body's signals to get there, right? Like the conversations around weight loss are about how physically to get there and, you know, possibly as quickly as possible, but then that's you don't necessarily talk about 
what's going to happen after the fact because you've been ignoring your body's signals for so long and the the rebound that's likely going to happen as a result. Um, So just one more thing in this section brings us, there's a table in the middle of page five, which I thought was worth commenting on. And it it maps how the 10 principles of intuitive eating are related to this interoceptive awareness. And there's two categories in the table. One of them is the, the principles that are focused on helping you improve your interoceptive awareness. And those include principle two, which is honoring your hunger. Principle five, which is discover the satisfaction factor. Principle six is respecting your fullness. And principle nine is movement, feel the difference. So those four are all related to helping you improve your interoceptive awareness. And then you get into the column that talks about removing obstacles to interoceptive awareness. And that includes number one, which is reject the diet mentality. Number three, make peace with food. Number four, challenge the food police. Number seven, cope with your emotions with kindness. Number eight, respect your body. And number 10, honor your health with gentle nutrition. So a couple a couple observations here. First of all, like there's four in the improving awareness column and six in the removing obstacles. So you definitely get the sense looking at this that there's more work to be done in removing obstacles. And you know, even looking at just the first five principles, three of them are in the removing obstacles category versus the the improving category which only has two. And principle one, rejecting the diet mentality, is part of the removing obstacles column. And I think this is really helpful because it gives us a sense as we start this work, um, it levels our expectations a little bit about where we're going to be spending our time and um, let's see, where we're going to spend our time and how much of the work we're going to be doing is going to be focused on removing obstacles to our on our journey to intuitive eating. So I hope you have found these reflections helpful. When I in, when I sat down to record the episode today, I had intended to comment on the first ten pages, um, and honestly, like I would have loved to have been able to comment on the first chapter, but I do want to keep these episodes. Um, manageable in length. And so at some point, I'm probably going to have to look at releasing episodes more frequently. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do this in a way that's sustainable and keeps us making progress. Um, and yeah, we'll see how it all unfolds. So head on over to the Facebook group. I look forward to the conversation there. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks again for listening to the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you may be wondering what happens next. Whenever you are ready, here are three additional ways I can support you. First, head over to the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group. It's made up of people just like you and is a safe space in which to find support and ask questions. Second, the group coaching program based upon my Freedom for Life framework starts up several times a year. The best place to stay informed about that will be in the Facebook group as well. Please share your interest and your email address in the entry questions for the group. Lastly, 
I do work with a limited number of one-on-one coaching clients. If you resonate with me and my message and want to see if working together is a good fit, please send an email to hello at thiswellseasonedlife.com and I'll reach out to you to set up a time to talk. Enjoy the rest of your day and remember, your value as a person cannot be measured in inches and pounds.